Thank you, Holly. Good morning. It's good to see so many familiar faces here today. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to be uh, looking at Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible, I love you, and I wish you would get one. Maybe we'll give you one. Uh, or on your phone or something, you can download the uh, U version. It's a great opportunity. Hey, I just want to say a really big thank you to all of... Um, uh, just the, the church, so many of you who have just been a blessing to us during this time, praying for us, praying for me, blessing to my family. Right now, as, I, as we speak, there's a family from our church driving down to Texas, uh, down to Waco, and they're, and they're going to go through Waco, and they're going to bless my daughter, Lexi, uh, with, with something, with a care package that we sent her. And so that's just awesome. Somebody else took my wife out this week. It was just a real blessing. So I just want to say thank you all for, for your support. Uh, and I also just want to say a welcome to my family that might be joining online uh, today or anybody else who is as well. A uh, special say hello to Lexi and Christian uh, who are out of state and joining me. Uh, so yeah, excited to be here and excited to be able to open God's word uh, to you uh, one last time. And uh, I thought uh, it would be fitting to do uh, Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20. It's uh, Paul's last words to the, the church in Ephesians, and that's kind of where we're going to go today. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, oh, I want to make a shameless plug before I pray and, and get the sermon started. Shameless plug. There we go. Wow, that's, that was interesting. Whoa, lights, that camera. Um, some of you have asked, hey, you know, what can I do to uh, connect with you guys? Some of you have offered to get together with Deb and I, take us out, and we w- would love to do that, but... The next couple Thursdays, and I don't want to pull anybody away from Apple Fest and, or from the concert on Friday the 30th, but the next two Thursdays, there are, uh, there's a two banquets happening. One is the Informed Choices Banquet that, you know, some of you know I serve with uh, the Pregnancy Resource Center in Grays Lake and Crystal Lake. Uh, Deb has volunteered there. I have volunteered and served with the school program. Uh, they're having their annual banquet, and I'd love to invite any of you to join us for dinner this Thursday. If you can't make this Thursday, the following Thursday, uh, Pastor Lutzer, Erwin Lutzer, is going to be speaking at the other banquet that I'm going to be at, another fundraising banquet for uh, abstinence and marriage resources. It's going to be in, the, in Palatine at the Cotillion. And so contact me if you're interested in any of these. Uh, it, would, it would be a wonderful to have. We're hosting a table. We would love for you to be at our table and to be a part of these ministries. And uh, if neither of those work, I've got something in October, too, Breakthrough Urban Ministries, but I don't think they're having a dinner. So, But I uh, would love to connect with you. And, you know, it's really about us being the church. Uh, I think uh, Leanna just prayed that, that we would be the church. And one of the ways that we are the church is that we get out and we help those who are hurting. And, those, and we fight the good fight. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. So let me read the passage, <clears throat> and then we will pray. Okay? So I'm going to take a moment to read Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you have given us so much and you've given us the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be fortified in the gospel this morning, that we really would be strong in the Lord, that we would stand firm and put on the armor of God. Lord, I ask uh, that uh, my words today would, uh, would really be replaced with your words, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct. I pray that we would um, not look for a sermon today, but we would look, Father, for your Holy Spirit and your word to speak to our hearts, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name that you would transform us to be the people that you want us to be. Thank you that you've not let us, let it, left us in the dark uh, with what is going on in this world. Thank you that the light has come and has overcome the darkness. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our shield, our belt, our sword. He is our armor. So Lord, I ask God that as we dive into this and, uh, and, and look at this today, I pray that you would direct our steps and change us for your glory, that you, Christ, would be magnified. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, I think I've told you on uh, different occasions the story of, uh, uh, many of you know I'm a big music fan, and especially a Christian music fan. I grew up uh, going, when I was a teenager, when I came to Christ in my late teens, I uh, would go to a festival called the Cornerstone Music Festival. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody here who's ever heard of that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Some, uh, it was a, an alternative Christian music festival that was put on by um, the Jesus People USA in, in, in uptown Chicago. And they would do it up here in Grays Lake, Illinois. And uh, I remember as a 17-year-old with a bunch of friends from our youth group going up there and uh, camping. It was, was kind of like a, a, a Christian Woodstock. I don't even know if that's a good comparison, but, but you know, that the outdoor music festival we were camping at for three or four days, uh, somewhere to like a country thunder, but with a Christ-centered emphasis. And uh, I just remember uh, one of the, one of the year, well, the first year we went, uh, I love being in the outdoors, but I didn't grow up camping quite a bit. And uh, not too many of us did. We were all city kids. We were all urban kids. And for the most part, we didn't go camping. And so there we were, a bunch of teenagers camping. And I think we had a couple of youth leaders, quasi-youth leaders with us. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, lo and behold, you know, back then we didn't have the satellite, the phones, and all that stuff. We didn't know there was a major storm coming that night. And uh, it just completely took us by surprise and uh, literally, you know, tore us up. And the storm came down so hard that night, we didn't know what to do. Our tents were flying everywhere. And I just remember, uh, and, and those who were with me always remember me yelling this. I don't know why I was yelling this. Well, I think I do know why. I was yelling, fortify the bottom. <laughs> fortify the bottom, because all of our tents were flying up, and they were going everywhere. And it was just kind of like we're just all holding on for dear life. 
in this massive rainstorm. And uh, I thought of that this morning with uh, the whole idea of what, what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying, be fortified in the gospel. You are in a battle. You're in a war. You may not know it, but you are. I asked my son for a classic movie scene uh, of, uh, I was thinking of a movie scene where there was a, two people who were in a war, or people in a war where they didn't even realize it. It's kind of like the churches sometimes. It's kind of how we can be. And uh, he reminded me of Shaun of the Dead. I don't know if you've seen the British trilogy. Uh, (laughs) But uh, these two guys are just kind of like dealing with a hangover, and they're just kind of like, they don't realize that there's a zombie apocalypse happening in front of them. And they're just walking around and seeing all these different people. And they're not, they're just kind of living their whole life. And I kind of think that sometimes that's how it is. Uh, We often aren't aware of what's really going on and what's really happening around us. Uh, my favorite story that kind of illustrates this is, um, uh, speaking of camping, is when Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went camping. They decided to go on a camping trip after dinner and a bottle of wine. They lay down for a night and go to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky. Tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? Watson pondered for a minute. Well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and quite insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes was silent for a minute, then spoke. Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) You know, I I think sometimes we miss the big point here, the big picture. Uh, The idea that, you know what, we're in a battle here. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. But sometimes we just get so lost in the details, we forget to fortify the bottom. We forget to focus on what matters the most. So we're going to unpack this passage today. And I don't know what your worldview is. Um, I I know for some of you, you may find it hard to believe in a Satan, uh, in a devil. For uh, for those of us who have been living the Christian faith for a while, we know he's very real, and we're very much aware of his schemes. In fact, over and over again, the Bible says, Paul says, don't be unaware of his schemes. Uh, I have a resource for you today that is not in your, uh, in, well, it's not going to be in the bulletin, but it's going to be on the back table. And basically, it's something that I put together a few years ago and have taken our students through. It's called Satan's Five Most Crucial Lies. And uh, uh, his, his weaponry is all about is lying. That's all he does. And it's A-E-I-O-U, accuse, entice, isolate, obstruct, and undermine. And uh, what I like about this is that it doesn't just focus on Satan. It focuses on the truth of God. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to focus this on the gospel and the truth because that's how we defeat the evil one. And so uh, it's a very practical thing. If you take it home, I hope you will uh, memorize God's truth. This message kind of comes out of something that I've been personally studying and dealing with um, just the last few weeks, or actually the last few months. I took our students through the temptation of Christ and dealing with how he dealt with um, Satan in in the wilderness a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to preach here on the Christ's reigns and the gospel advances in the book of Acts. And then last week, I actually spoke somewhere else on, on the temptation of Christ. And the point from the, the stories of the temptation of Christ is that his victory can be our victory. 
can be our victory. Um, but uh, in case you forget, in case you don't know, let me give you a quick little history of, uh, of spiritual war in the Bible. Uh, it started in Genesis 3. Actually, it probably started before then. Uh, but Genesis 3 is where Satan shows up right there with Adam and Eve. And what's his first words? Anybody know his first words to, uh, to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? Uh, immediately getting them to doubt God's word and doubt God's character. And that's what he wants to do. That's what he's about. And so that kicked off a long battle once Satan, once he got Eve and Adam to, to, uh, to, to, to bite from the apple and, or the fruit and to sin, to disobey God and to become the ones who define good and evil for themselves. It's almost like we handed over the keys. And that's why Jesus said he's the ruler of the air, the, the ruler of the world, the prince of the, of, of the power of the air. That's why Satan says to Jesus, he says, all these things have been given to me. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. Many theologians think that that's a legitimate thing, that we handed over the authority at that point, before that, before the cross. That we handed over the authority to Satan. Uh, he shows up again in Genesis 6. There's, there's some drama there with, um, with the, the, the daughters of, of, of men and the sons of God, the demons. Uh, somehow there's some type of thing going on there. Uh, most people believe the book of Job happened right around the time of the patriarchs in early Genesis. Uh, that's the actual timing of the history of the book of Job. And so there you've got Satan going on and accusing Job and, 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 and saying that Job only serves God for, for, for his own benefit. And we see this behind-the-scenes situation in heaven with, with other fallen angels and, and, and going before God, and, and there's this... There's this thing that we're taking beyond that Job never sees. And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria was waging war against Israel. I don't know if you know this story. It's one of my favorite stories. God informed Elijah the prophet of all the Syrian king's battle plans in advance. And the prophet conveyed them to the king of Israel so that all of Syria's attacks were nullified. When the king of Syria learned that Elijah was the one that was tipping off everybody, because God was giving Elijah this in inside information, he decides to take out Elijah. And so uh, this is later on in the history of Israel, but uh, the king of Syria sends out his army, and they surround the city of Dothan, where Elijah was staying, Elisha. When Elijah's servant arose early and went out, perhaps to draw water, he saw the Syrian army as it was surrounding the city, and the panic-stricken servant rushed to his master and told him what he had seen. And he was, he was shaking in his boots, literally. And uh, while the servant was terrified by what he had seen, Elisha remained calm. He knew something that his servant did not. He knew that the earthly armies were no threat where the host of heaven was on his side. Let me show you this in the, in, in the passage, 2 Kings 6. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now look at verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What the heck do you mean? We're surrounded. It's just you and me. And Elijah prayed. He prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hill full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And when they came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. 
It's an amazing story. I love that story because what it shows to me is that there is more than what we just, our eyes can see. And scripture often says that there are angels. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said that some of you, in, when you've reached out to people in need, you've been entertaining or being hospitable to angels. It speaks of the Hebrew Christians back then. Uh, there, there is an angelic realm around us um, that is involved, and there's a battle going on. And uh, it's interesting that the phrase that, that Elijah prayed for his servants, what did he pray? Open his eyes that he may see. The Apostle Paul prays something similar in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. He says, open the eyes. I pray that you'll open the eyes of the church so that they would know how wonderful and how great God's love is for them and see him high and lifted up. We don't need our eyes to see Satan. We need our eyes to see God. Amen? In First Chronicles, we see another glimpse of Satan's opposition to God and to his people, a glimpse which is not mentioned in the parallel account in Second Samuel. It says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Apparently there was a pride issue going on with the numbers, and it says Satan was behind that. And I'm not going to read too many other verses, but I will read one more. And this is from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, but this is one of the freakiest things. This is where Daniel is fasting and praying. And he is um, praying for the nation of Israel. He's praying for all the, 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 the political upheaval that's going on. And it says that he was fasting for 21 days. And in verse 8 it says, So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. He gets a vision of God. An angel actually comes to him. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. He says, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Look at verse 12. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. You know, the application of today's message, one of them is what Paul says at the end of the passage that we read. What did he say? Above all else, do what? You remember? We all have short-term memories, don't you? <laughs> Above all else, pray. Pray in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It doesn't mean to fall into a trance like Daniel here did, you know, and have his vision. But it does mean, what I want you to see is this. Daniel was a person who prayed, and he took seriously the things of God, and he sought God with all his heart. And you know what? A lot of times when we seek God, we wonder, does God even know? Is he doing anything? Does he hear? Is it just bouncing off the ceiling? For 21 days, there was just nothing going on, but Daniel persisted. And I like what it says here. Since the first day, since the first day, we, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Now, this is an angel talking, all right? Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. 
While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth, and I began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Does this sound familiar? When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. There's a lot here I could unpack. I'm not going to go there, but I, I, wanna, I just want to, you know, we just read Ephesians 6. And Ephesians 6 said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you know what's interesting is that the people in, in Ephesus, if, if Paul, when Paul wrote this, they, they would have perked up and listened. You know, why? Because it was a, the, the, Ephesus was the second biggest city at that time in the Mediterranean world. It was at the Temple of Artemis. It was famous for spirituality, occult practices. Uh, people were always involved in different, different uh, incantations and different things. They, they believed in a spirit realm. They had experienced that. They experienced the spiritual realm. Um, it, when Paul came 10 years earlier to Ephesus, he, um, he, uh, he, he, was, uh, he was healing people in the name of Jesus. And this was in the beginning of, it, it's in Acts chapter 19. And in Acts chapter 19, he's, he's healing these people. And it says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out to them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, check this out. Some of the, the there, was a, there was people that would walk around, they were Jewish exorcists. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And so in other words, they weren't believers in Christ. They didn't really know firsthand Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But they're like, oh, wow, he has this power, so I'm going to take this power and use it. So they're like, okay. I adjure you by the, the Jesus, seven sons of a Jewish high priest, that this guy was named Sceva. Seven of his sons were doing this. But it says the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all seven of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That's a crazy story, isn't it? So when, when, when 10 years later, after Paul had established the church, he stayed there for a couple years, he's writing, the, he's writing this letter to the Ephesians. He's writing it probably from a prison in Rome, chained to a guard, potentially, and when he starts saying, uh, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, their ears, their ears per perked up, and they were listening because they knew they didn't want to get their butts beaten by some demons, you know, beat naked. You know? <laughs> I don't know if that's where the phrase uh, comes from, but, uh, but I mean, that, that's kind of the idea. So I share all this with you because um, I think in our, in our culture, in our modern culture, we tend to, to kind of write things off. 
You say, well, Tony, why do you believe in demons? I mean, I mean it kind of begs the question. I know the Bible teaches them, but, well, first of all, Jesus did. If you look at the Gospels, right from the, the offset, it's all about him encountering the spiritual world. Uh, the, the, the temptation of Satan. Uh, three Gospels have him casting out the Gerasene demoniac. And there you get this idea, like in Daniel, that there are, there are princes, there are rulers, there are spiritual authorities over certain regions and countries. In fact, the demons even say to him, don't, you know, don't send me out of the country. And kind of like they have their regions. But right from the get-go, especially in the Gospel of Mark, but in all three major synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see him always casting out demons. Um, uh, when, Peter, when, he, when, when Peter confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he says the gates of, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against, against your confession of me as, as, as Lord. So Jesus believed in them. Um, that's, that's the biggest reason why I believe. Number two, um, obviously the whole scripture testifies to it, but also um, I believe it makes most sense to, when you look at the intensity of evil in the world. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but when you, when you look at what Hitler did and within the genocides in Rwanda and Mao Zedong, you know, the 20th century has been the bloodiest century uh, ever. Um, and now the 21st century could be. And the, there's, this, there's this idea in progressive, um, uh, in progressive education today that, that if, if, if the more educated you are, the less, you know, less evil you become. And that's just not true. <laughs> I think the more educated people that, 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 that did the Holocaust and were involved with Stalin, these people were not non-educated people. And I don't think we can write them off as just being mentally ill. There's something spiritual behind there. And again, Satan is not after your recognition. He's after our destruction. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's not interested in being recognized. Uh, we are in a battle and the question is, are we going to face it? Um, I was hit with this when I was 19 years old as a Bible student at Moody Bible Institute. Uh, and uh, I had a chance to meet my, uh, well, at the time, she wasn't my lovely bride and my best friend and my partner, which I wanted to say thank you to. Uh, I didn't get a chance at the beginning to do that. Uh, my 11 years here at Long Grove Church have been a joy. Probably the biggest joy has been doing ministry with my wife, Debbie. Um, <clears throat> she is a... a uh, not only a good friend, but also uh, an encourager and a strength, one who strengthens me. Uh, as I look back on the years here, some of the highlights, we were doing, doing Alpha together, leading small groups, having students over, ministering to students, and doing that together. Um, but uh, she was not always my bride. Um, and, uh, you know, they always say behind a, a faithful or successful guy, there's always a surprise woman. So there you go. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm blessed to have her. But there was a time when I did not know her as my, as my girlfriend. In fact, I, I knew her for four years before I even thought of dating her. And, uh, and she was actually in the youth group that I was attending. So don't get weird thoughts right now. But I, I just qualified that by waiting four years. But uh, I saw her come to Christ. Uh, but she brought a friend, a good friend of hers, and I'll never forget what that friend asked me. I was, a, I was a young youth intern at the time, working and going to Moody Bible Institute and wanting to, to know Christ and love him. The girl comes up to me and says, uh, can I still be a Christian if I've given my soul over to the devil? Now, I was like, okay, I don't know really where to go with that. And, uh, you know... <laughs> Uh, that was at a time when satanic worship was pretty high. There was a lot of stuff going on with that. And, 
Uh, that kicked off a whole series of things. I won't go into details, but I will tell you this. Uh, after meeting with her, which uh, ended up with, with my pa senior pastor at the time, uh, and seeing what literally you see in the movie Exorcist, and you see that happen physically in front of you, and you see somebody the size of, of Julie in the front here pick up somebody the size of Tom Brenner and throw them, and you, know, you see, start seeing stuff, that's not adrenaline. Uh, when you see somebody who can be quieted at the name of Jesus, at, but at the same time before that be extremely violent and extremely threatening, it's, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, there is, there is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle that we're in. And, uh, uh, and that kicked it off, and, that, and that, was, that was kind of the idea. I had never experienced anything like that. And one of the things I learned, uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a hard lesson, is that it's not about me and my strength. It's about God's strength. It's about what Jesus did. And that's, that's our big idea this morning, okay? Uh, our, our big idea this morning really is the gospel is the power in your life and the way God reverses the corruption of sin and repels the power of Satan from you. There's two major commands in this passage. The first one is be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, the gospel is the power of God in your life and the way God reverses the corruption of sin and repels the power of Satan from you. Here's a quote from J.D. Greer. The way we keep the corrupting influence of the enemy out of our lives is by establishing every part of our life, our hopes, our dreams, our failures, our worries, our fears, our relationships, our pleasures, our disappointments on the gospel. I thought that would go up, but maybe I don't have it there. The way we, let me see it again. The way we keep the corrupting influence of the enemy out of our lives is by establishing every part of our life, our hopes, our dreams, our failures, our worries, our fears, our relationships, our pleasures, our disappointments on the gospel. Amen? Be strong in the Lord, he says, and in the power of his might. The flip side of this is true. Whatever part of you is not established in the gospel, whether that is in your marriage, your job, your dreams, whatever, whatever part is not saturated in the gospel is subject to manipulation of the enemy against you. You remember uh, one of the questions that really came out of all this during the time that I was dealing with this demonization uh, situation in the youth group that I was serving in was, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that, even thought about that. I don't even know if you've ever even run that by your mind. But uh, there are many people who do exorcisms, and there are many people who do that in the name of Jesus. Um, that term, demon possession, comes from a bad English translation. The word demon possessed is not actually in the Bible. The biblical word is demonized, or and what it means is to be oppressed by Satan. Whatever part of you is not saturated in the, in the gospel can be affected or oppressed by Satan. If you're a Christian, the core of you who are uh, you are the core of who you are cannot be taken over by a demon because Jesus lives there. The Bible says that when you receive the gospel, you, be, you yet to as many as received them, to them gave He the right to become children of God. You were born again if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news 
of Jesus Christ, that he came and died for sinners and rose again. When you put your faith in him, you, 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 you literally repent. You turn and you put your trust in Jesus, and Jesus is the one who comes in and transforms you. You become a new person. So in one sense, Satan doesn't own anything. He's a counterfeit. He's an usurper, all right? And so it's important for us to know that. Um, but here's the deal. Even though Jesus lives in me, whatever part of me that I don't surrender to Jesus, it can, it, it can be affected by Satan. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says very clearly, do not uh, be angry. It says, it says, when you're angry, do not sin in your anger. It doesn't say do not be angry. It says, in your anger, because we're all going to get angry, all right? It's part of a human emotion. It's natural. It's normal. But in your anger, do not sin. And do not, uh, do, not give the de do not go to bed angry so as to give the devil a foothold. So it's not like Satan, it, Paul is at the end of this passage saying, oh, you know what, by the way, there's some special, you know, you know, ops training that I want to give you guys about spiritual warfare. He's been talking to them about the devil throughout. He's been talking about them predominantly about the gospel throughout. If you've ever read the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about who we are in Christ and what it means to become a Christian. Ephesians 4 and 5 is living it out practically. And then Ephesians 6 is, is where he gets into this, the spiritual warfare. But I share this with you because unresolved anger in, your, in a Christian's life can destroy your relationships and destroy you. And it's a way Satan can work. You give him a foothold, all right? Uh, we know that Satan used Peter's fear to move him to betray Jesus. Satan used King David's pride to trick him into counting the armies of Israel whom God had forbidden. In none of these cases, you can't say, well, the devil made me do it. You know, because the devil took what was already inside of you, but what he did was take it and he blows it up. So Paul says, saturate yourself with the gospel that I'm teaching you, and it will be the armor of God against Satan. To be saturated with the gospel, the mind of Christ, is to be filled with the Spirit. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. All right, so let's, let's unpack this a little bit. You must be strong in the Lord. Uh, it, if you look in Ephesians 1, he prays for them. You ever notice when Paul prays that he, he doesn't pray for circumstances to change usually? He usually prays for boldness and for strength for, to get through those circumstances. That's so important because when you and I pray, we tend to pray like, God, take this away. God, you know. But God often wants to, to teach us to rely on him and to be strong in the Lord. First of all, to be strong in the Lord, you need to be in him. One of the phrases that Paul uses throughout all of Ephesians is in Christ, in Christ. And that means you've actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so um, in, 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 in uh, Ephesians 1, he says, I pray the surpassing greatness of his power toward those, towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then he says to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. In other words, we're not strong in ourselves. Our strength comes from the Lord. That's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Think about every movie that you enjoy watching, whether it be, you know, movies like Rocky or movies like, you know, where you see even like the Titanic where somebody does something with something very little and makes something big happen. You know, I, I think of movies where it's just like, you know, you, you cheer on, the, the character that has all odds, fighting against all odds, and he finds the strength within him to, 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 you know, to, to win, to defeat the, the, the darkness. And, that's, that, and we all, like, we get excited about that, don't we? 
But in one sense, that's not what Paul is saying here. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not, you know, God helps those who help themselves. That's not biblical. The biblical way is to be strong in the Lord. There's a passive voice where it's the idea of that you allow him to strengthen. He is strengthening you. But there's also a middle voice where you take action. There's a story in the life of David when he was on the run from Saul. David was wrongly, at that time, he had wrongly allied himself with the Philistine king and was about to go into battle against Saul and the forces of Israel when God intervened David and his men were sent home from the battle. So God says, no, I don't want you to fight Saul. Go home. He goes home, and he arrives to find that their city was burned with fire and their wives, children, and possessions were taken capture by the Amalekites. At that point, David's men were so embittered that they were talking about stoning David. They're mad at him. But then it says in the middle of the verse, there's a great hinge that turned things in a new direction. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. But, the, excuse me, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The, but David strengthened himself. The Lord graciously directed David to pursue the raiders and recover all of their families and goods. There's this idea that where David takes on and says, okay, I'm going to go to God for my strength. I have found that I don't go to God unless all other options sometimes fail. Isn't that our human tendency? You know, I always think of that story of the guy who, uh, the kid who's, who trips and falls and he's hanging on to a branch and he's yelling for help. He's like, he's off this cliff and he's just about to fall into his death and he's hanging on to this branch. He's, help, 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 you know. And, and uh, nobody comes. He's, help, help, please. And, and then finally he hears a voice and he says, yeah, who is it? And, and the voice says, it's God. And, oh, thank you, help me, help me. And, and, and the voice says, let go. And the, and the kid's like, help, help, is anybody else up there? You know. <laughs> Sometimes what God wants us to do is to, tr- is to completely trust him. And that means not knowing the outcome. And that's difficult. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord. When I was ministering in the city for many years, I had a partner there who put up a sign. We both shared a desk. And he put up a sign every, uh, uh, that just was like a, he, he put it in marker. He just put it up. And it was something that God was dealing with him with. And it was something that God was dealing with me as well. And the, the, it was just a question mark. Lord, am I depending on you? Lord, am I depending on you? That is a great question to ask every morning. Lord, am I going to do life in my strength or am I going to do life in your strength? There's a big difference. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, you must be strong in the Lord. You must, you, must know your, you must acknowledge your weakness. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter needed to learn this lesson. Remember when he boasts to, to Jesus? He says, oh, no, even if everybody else falls away, I will never. I will, I will die for you. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, tonight before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> you know, you know what's interesting in that story is that the, the, the Luke says that Satan came to Jesus and asked if he could um, sift Peter like wheat. He wanted to destroy Peter because he knew that Peter was one of the leaders of the disciples. And Peter, like you and I, was gung-ho, excited for God, you know, and excited for Jesus. And he didn't realize that, you know what, it's not about the strength of the flesh. It's about the strength of the spirit. And I love though how, how Jesus says, you know what? After you have fallen and you're restored, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, yeah, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. 
You're going to blow it. Everybody does. But you're going to come back. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. He gives them a vision. Jesus has always given us a vision of not our failures, but of what, what, of our, of what we're going to do with our failures and, and, and move on. Um, Paul. Paul needed to learn this. Remember? He was caught up in a third heaven. And he saw visions that nobody in this in, in, ever seen before. And it says that because of this pride that he had about what he saw, uh, it was allowed for Satan to, to buffet him and to give him this thorn in the flesh. And it, it, it literally says that. It says that, you know what, because Paul was going to be so full of himself and so proud about, oh my gosh, you know, I saw this stuff. No, God says, um, because of this, to keep Paul from exalting himself, the Lord sent a messenger of Satan to torment him. The lesson that Paul learned in 2 Corinthians 12 was what? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? To be, to be strong in the Lord, you must know the Lord's strength. Satan is not power, as powerful as God. It's not like two equal battles. The Bible says that Jesus is going to defeat Satan and the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth, with his word, the spoken word. It's all. The power of God is so much stronger. Throughout the whole Old Testament, I don't want to give you some, too many stories here, but you, know, you look at every story, at Joshua, Hezekiah, Moses, all of them, it's, it's not them fighting and striving, okay? It's them saying, okay, God, I'm going to do things your way. And who's the one who fights their battles? The Lord fights for them. And that's why the primary command here is be strong in the Lord. But then the next one is put on the full armor of God so that you can what? So you can stand. So you can stand firm and watch God work. That's the idea. This is not like, okay, we're got, we need to go out and attack the enemy. No, what we should be doing is sharing the gospel, living the gospel, loving people, loving God. And guess what? When we do that, we're going to get attacked. But we're supposed to withstand it. And then he says, how do you do that? Through, through the armor of God. Uh, standing firm against the enemy is the result of putting on God's full armor. Stand is a key word, as I just mentioned. He repeats it in verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14. Also, the word resist comes from a Greek compound word from the root word to stand. It means literally to stand against. It's a military term for holding on to a position that is under attack. It implies the courage to hold your ground, fortify the bottom, uh, it, it, because of your allegiance to King Jesus. Even when others may be fleeing from the battle because the enemy seems so strong. There's many instances of that I could go into. Um, but I, I will not at this time. Um, you know, a lot of people think that uh, the, the Apostle Paul got this idea from the Roman guards of the, of the armor, and he might have. He probably predominantly did. But did you know it's also in the Old Testament? Uh, in Isaiah 59, verses 15 to 17, the, the phrase breastplate of righteousness is used. It says this. Let me read this to you. Truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased, and there was no justice. Does it sound like today's world? He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on, he's talking about God, the Messiah. He put on the, the righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a zeal as in a cloak. The armor is just a graphic way of saying what Paul says in Romans 13, 14. 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. So this is uh, God's armor. Let's, uh, let's uh, begin to walk through it. The first thing is the breastplate of righteousness. By the way, speaking of uh, when I'm weak, you are strong. Uh, thank you for being patient with my voice. I was dealing with a throat infection where I wasn't able to talk hardly at all for three days this week. So it's a blessing to be able to be here and to be able to speak God's word to you. Um, but, you know, you take things for granted. We take our health for granted, don't we? So much. And uh, it's, you know, just, it finally broke on uh, Friday. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could talk again. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to, to do this. The breastplate of righteousness. What is that all about? Okay, I think some of us get weirded out by the word righteousness, uh, but the idea of God's righteousness is whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is good. And uh, the, the, first, uh, the first set of armor that he puts on is not, the, is not the breastplate of righteousness. It's what? Gird your loins, the, uh, the King James Version says, with the what? The belt of truth. Yeah, the belt of truth. Let's look at it. If you haven't looked at it, if you shut your Bible, I hope you didn't. Verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breast of righteousness in place. The belt of truth was a very thick belt. And it wasn't just a belt you put on after you put everything else on. It was, it was literally, it, it held all the armor in place. So the first thing that the Apostle Paul says here is, you know what? It's about truth. Who is going to define what is true for you? Is it going to be the majority? Is it going to be your instincts? Is it going to be your feelings? Or is it going to be God's word? That's kind of where it starts, isn't it? So the, that, that, that's kind of the whole thing this morning here. Because we're talking about what we're saying here is there's a spiritual warfare. We need to be ready for it. We need to be strong in the Lord, okay? The world says be strong in yourself. The majority of culture says there is only what we can see, touch, touch feel, and hear, Okay? But God's word, God's truth, says no. There's more than what we see in here. In fact, what's here in the physical is a result of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Putting on the belt of truth means I'm going to submit to the truth of God. I'm going to allow God's truth to be my truth. Um, it also means I'm going to live in truth with integrity. I'm going to do things that are truthful and not lies. Uh, Satan is known as the father of what? Yeah, John chapter 8, Jesus called him the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. That's his number one weapon. A-E-I-O-U, accuse, entice, isolate, undermine, obstruct. That's what he wants to do. How do we defeat him? The truth, the belt of truth. The second is the breastplate of righteousness. And when I, when I said righteousness was an Old Testament image for someone God used to bring justice. When someone puts on the breastplate of righteousness, they were about to do God's work. Now, this means two things. Number one, what is Satan's primary way of attacking us? He's known as the what of the brethren? The accuser. Yeah, Revelation 12 says he's the accuser of the brethren. In fact, let me read that to you real fast. I think we have that, Revelation 12. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brother, or brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And then look at this verse. I love this verse. Highlight this in your Bible. Memorize it. They triumphed over him. Who? The saints. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Why? Because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Revelation 12 goes on to talk, and Revelation talks about how we're, there's a lot of martyrs. There's a lot of casualties in this war. People die. You know, just like in Acts chapter 12, Peter, was, Peter and si, uh, Silas and Peter and all these guys were rescued from prison, but James was killed, right? There's casualties. But it says they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, that's the blood of Jesus Christ, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I share that verse with you. There's so much there I, I could unpack. But I'm just trying to whet your appetite for something greater. I hope you will dive into God's word. Um, it's so rich. But the point here is that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so what's he going to do? He's going to accuse us that we're not good enough, that we're a failure, that you're not really a Christian, that God doesn't love you, that you can't overcome your past mistakes. Here's the number one one. You can't change. Okay? You can't change. This is how you are. Some of us believe that. We're like, yeah, this is the way I am. This is why I always be. No. That's a lie. That's the, accuser. That's the accuser speaking. So what's the breastplate of righteousness? It's Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Christ is our righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He, is, we are the righteous, he became the righteousness of God. What does that mean practically? It means that when God looks at you and I, if we're Christians, he doesn't see our sin as something that he can he's not going to judge us for our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. So all of Satan's accusations fall short. 1 John 2 says that Jesus is like a lawyer standing before God. He's an advocate defending us. The Spirit of God intercedes for us, Romans 8 says. That's what the breastplate of righteousness is. That's part of it. The other part of it is, is, is saying, hey, you know what? I see injustice in the world. I want to do something about it. I see, you know, these babies being killed. I want to step up and I want to help. I want to stop that. I want to rescue those who are being led to the slaughter. I see the sex trade and all that's going on with that and the, and the, the, the devastation of pornography. I want to step up and do something. So the, the, there's, there's a twofold aspect to this. Uh, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you begin to feel what God feels when he sees injustice. This is how God sends you out into the world to engage in warfare. Then, in really, then he goes into uh, the, the feet. Look at this, verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Hey, look, I know some of you who've grown up in church, you've heard this like tons of times. You've taught it. You've seen it in VBS in Sunday school, you know. But look at it again with fresh eyes. What is this? These shoes that these Roman guards would wear, they were like cleats, you know. I still remember the first time I put on cleats and played baseball, Little League baseball. I, I still remember that because you know what? I didn't make the smart move of trying to run with them before. So I get up to bat, and this is like literally my baseball career because it like ended like after this year. I get up to bat, yeah. By the way, the Dodgers just keep winning, don't they? They just keep winning. My first text this morning was 100 wins, first one to 100. 
hey, I had to throw that in there. Okay, all right. So I get up to bat, and I, I still remember this was my greatest hit. I don't know. I just smacked the ball way out into right field between the left, the center fielder and the right fielder, way out there. And I took off running. But guess what? I had these cleats, and I didn't know how to run in cleat in, in this, with those things. It was the first time ever. You know what I did? I tripped and I fell. <laughs> I, I barely got a single out of it. It could have been a triple, and I barely made, I barely made it to first base because I tripped and fell. But, but the cleats that these guys wore, they weren't made for you to trip in. They were made for you to be strong and to be, and to be ready. Okay, they dug in. They were sandals. And what does he say? He says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A lot of, a lot of commentators have taken this in different ways. And I think, it, I think it's okay to take it in multiple ways. I don't think that's, that's, that you're, you're, you're going against it. The readiness, obviously, the idea, obviously, is having firm footing. What is it that gives us firm footing? It's the gospel, the gospel of peace. Okay. And you say, is he just throwing this in here? No. Because if you remember in Ephesians 2, he said that Jesus is our peace. He tore down the wall of hostility between the Gentiles and the Jews. He himself is our peace. So what he's saying here is, you know what? You need to, you need to be reminded that when you go and you share the gospel and when you're in battle, you know what? It's the gospel that, that protects you and that saves you. It's God's good news. It's, it's the fact that he died and he rose again. You can trust in that. And what it also means, too, is the idea of that you are bringing peace to others. So many people think that the that Christians who share their faith are trying to hurt them or convert them and make them like them in a way that is negative. That's not true. Uh, readiness means you understand God's purposes in the world and are ready to extend them. You understand that God has pronounced peace to all peoples in the world, everywhere in the world by paying for the sins of every single person in the world. I was reading this week about how in the Hadith, I don't know if you guys know who, anybody know what the Hadith is? It's the account of Muhammad in Muslim teachings. It's not the Quran, but it's, it's, it's the writings of Muhammad. And in, Mo, in, the, in there, there's a famous image given in the Hadith. Uh, almost, every Muslim apparently knows this, uh, where on the last day it says you have to carry the burden of sin across a tightrope. More, the more sins you have, the more likely you are to fall into hell. It's like a tightrope over hell, and you have to somehow carry your sins across. Um, and, you know, your heart hears that, and you think someone has to tell them. Someone has to, with their shoes ready with the gospel of peace, has to go to them and say, hey, he took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. Or you see millions of Hindus who think that every cycle of life they are paying for the sins of their previous life. And you want to say, hey, there was one who has already lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death. So we shouldn't be afraid to share the gospel. We should go out and do that. What Paul also means here is when he says having the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace is that Christians are very quick to forgive because forgiving breaks the power of the enemy. Remember he said that? He said, don't let anger fester. But he says, just as Christ forgave you, you forgive others. He says that at the end of Ephesians 4. So the gospel of peace is, it says, you know what? I'm here to bring reconciliation, not only between you and God, but between man and man. I don't know if you've uh, looked at the genocide in Rwanda. Uh, that where the Hutus were massacred. Remember, everybody see the movie Hotel Rwanda? I'm dating myself. I know it's back in the 90s, but over 800,000 Tutsis were massacred. 
The Tootsie pastor who wrote a book on this said that the only way to overcome the work of Satan is to forgive. Philip Yancey wrote in his book, uh, Rumors, uh, there was a story about one woman in South Africa who watched the, the, this one soldier burn her husband and son alive. When this soldier stood in court with this woman later and confessed his crime, the judge looked at her and asked her what she wanted. This elderly woman said that God forgave this man and she forgave them, forgave them. And to prove to him that the forgiveness was real, she wanted to embrace him and she wanted him to come to her little shanty twice a month and spend the day with her so that she could be a mother to him and give him some of the love that she still had to give. You read stories you're like that, and you're like, what? That's the power of the gospel. How can somebody do that? I can't do that. Be strong? No. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Many of you deal with the works of Satan in your marriage much less worse. One of your most powerful tools to break his power is to forgive. Above all, he says, taking the shield of faith by which we extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. Satan doesn't throw cannonballs at us. He throws fiery darts. What does that mean? It means that they're aimed at specific areas. When he tempted Jesus, he knew exactly what he was doing. Since you're the son of God, since you are, tell the stones to become bread. You don't need the father to do anything. To, you, you can do miracles. Since you're the son of God, just cast yourself down. And everybody then will believe. All they need to do is see a miracle and they'll believe. Since you're the son of God, you know, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. You don't need to go to the cross. He constantly needled Jesus with the cross. Remember when, when Peter said, no, you're not going to go to the cross. Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. Satan throws fiery darts. What that means is he knows specifically where our weaknesses are. But do you know what? We take up the shield of faith. That shield is a big shield wasn't just a little thing that, you know, you kind of carry right here. It was huge. It was made of wood, and then it was made of leather, and then there was metal on it, okay? And, uh, and there's, there, there was, there's talk that in the Roman culture, they, they put something on it with water to, to distinguish uh, flaming arrows. Um, many times, I don't know if you've seen Gladiator or if you've seen Lord of the Rings or the orcs, when they're, when they're attacking Helm's Deep, what do they do with their armor? They all band together, and they cover up with each other, and they walk together. That's exactly how the Roman guards could do that. What does this mean practically for you and I? That, number one, we need to take up the shield of faith. Number two, we need to do it with others. It, we're not alone. Your faith helps me. My faith helps you. We're not, we're not meant to face Satan alone. What is the, why, does he say the shield, why does he say the shield of faith? Well, what is it that overcomes the evil one? It's faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the victory. What is it that we're saved by? We're saved by faith. Faith is like the switch. It turns on the lights. If you don't have faith, faith you know, my favorite illustration that I've shared over the years with you guys has always been, I'll, I'll share it again today. You know, if I go ice skating and the ice is this thick and I've got this much faith, what's going to happen? I'm still going down. It's not how much faith I have, it's what. It's what I put my faith in. If the ice is this, th this thick and I've got this much faith, I'm going to be fine. 
because it's, I'm not going to go down because it's the object of my faith. The object of our faith is what? The character and the promises of God. Uh, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Take up the shield of faith. Where is God asking you to trust him right now? I know where he's asking me to trust him. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, I mean, that's why I'm preaching to myself this morning. You know, really. And that's, I think God gave me this text and gave me all these things Father, to say, okay, hey, here, be strong in the Lord. This is for you. And if, it, if, I, don't, if I don't filter it through me, it's no good coming to you. Um, but yeah, where are you most likely not to believe God? Is it about his forgiveness of your past? About his provision for your future? Is it about money? Is it about your relationships? Your family? About his guidance of you in the present? About a situation in your family? Faith is, the, faith is, the, is the thing that God says, that calls us to do. Take up the shield of faith. What is your faith based on? The character and the promises of God. Then he says, take up the helmet of salvation. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but to say that your head, <laughs> you get hit in the head, you're gone. <laughs> so what's, what's, what's that? Why does he say the helmet of salvation? Because what's it all based on? It's based on my salvation in Christ. My strength, my battling is all based on what Jesus did for me. That's why the bottom line today is the gospel is the power of God. Fortify yourself in the gospel. He's got you. He's got us, okay? The last one is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the word of God that creates faith. He calls it a sword, a life-giving sword. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't it kill people? I like the term scalpel better, you know. The, the actual sword was a rima. It was a short sword. It was kind of like a dagger. And uh, the word rima is the spoken word of God. Or the, the, the idea is, is that, you know, when, when, when Satan attacked Jesus, what did he do? Three times he said, it is written. It is written. He always went back to the word of God. If the word, if the word of God, Jesus, needed to quote the word to defeat Satan, don't you and I more or less need that, need that as well? How are you doing with memorizing God's word? Is that a priority for you and I? It needs to be. Don't believe the lie that you can't do it. You need to. You need to be able to, to do it. And, and, and you know, can't rely on your pastors for that. It's something, this is something that's very individual. Um, if I got something wrong with my heart, and I don't want my doctor saying, well, we don't really know what's wrong, so we're just going to cut you open and start rooting around in there, slicing stuff up and cutting stuff out until you get better. <laughs> uh, no, a scalpel can be a life-saving instrument as long as the person using it knows where to cut. If you don't know how to use God's word, it becomes irrelevant for you or kind of useless. So I just want to encourage you as a church, please learn how to pick up the word of God and use it and, and appropriate it. The last thing he says is praying at all times in the spirit. Praying is how we release the healing power of God into the world. The important qualification is in the spirit. What does that mean? Well, he's already talked about that. Look at Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Prayer in the spirit, prayer full of confidence in God's love, is how God releases power into our world to overcome the enemy. 
Jesus' miracles in the Bible were often done in response to people who had the audacity to presume upon how gracious and how powerful he was. Jesus' power is released by people who are confident in his power and his willingness to use it. Prayer is the acid test, really. It's the acid test of our Christian walk. It really is. Um, one of the things that's happening in our, in our house these days is, how are we doing? I feel like you guys are like way out of time. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Should be out by one. No Bears game till tonight, right? <laughs> one of the things that's happening a lot lately in my house is um, my wife just kind of is talking to me, and she'll be telling me things and saying things and asking me to do things, and, and I'll say something, and she doesn't hear it. You know Why? She's got these little headphones on. <laughs> listen to her, her Bluetooth headphones on. Listen to something on the, some podcast, you know. But here's the deal. I can hear her, but, but she can't hear me. It, it's pretty useless. You know, it's kind of like, it gets frustrating at times. It's like, hello, you know. Now, this week, when I had no voice, it was kind of okay. But when you have a voice and you want to say something, you know, and, and I share that with you because sometimes that's how you and I's prayer life is, isn't it? It's like, you know, whoa, hey, 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 hey. You know, God, 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 this, God, this, God, this. But we don't really take time to listen to what he has to say. Prayer is just as much listening to God and being in his presence as it is giving him a list of, of requests. And that's what it means to pray in the spirit. It means to pray in the spirit according to the Holy Spirit. He said this in Ephesians 5. He said, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. It's a choice. It's a yielding to the Spirit. When I allow the Spirit of God into my life and allow Him to do things in my life, and I'm, I'm walking with Him, I'm listening to Him, He's guiding me. He fills me with love. And that verse says that I have thankfulness. And I, and I also am speaking psalms and, 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 and music to others. You know, there's a, and there's a thankfulness. There's a, there's a change in there. He says, when you pray, pray in the Spirit. It's a, it's, it means to pray according to God's will. Um, during World War II, an officer was briefing his men on how to take a certain obje uh, objective. And uh, he demonstrated to them the manner in which they needed to hug the ground so as to stay below enemy fire. He said in conclusion, if you advance on your knees, you will always be safe. If you advance on your knees, you'll always be safe. That's good advice for us as Christians. We fight for God against the enemy through prayer. You know, a lot of people think the word of God is the only offensive weapon. I think in some ways the sword of the spirit is in, in many ways it's a defensive weapon. I think the major primary offensive weapon is prayer. Let's look at the text again. Verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. When should we pray? All the time, yeah, pray without ceasing. It's an attitude. It's a relationship. It's ongoing. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's that idea of the shield again. Kind of like we're, all, we're in this together. That's one reason 159 to be in a life group, to be in a small group. We're not meant to do Christianity alone. Um... Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Is there something kind of ironic about verses that, that last prayer request? 
There shouldn't be, but there is. You know what it is? It's called you and I and our attraction to human personality. We automatically think Paul's got it all together, don't we? What the heck is he asking this for? Actually, there's other verses that say that in person, Paul was not very charismatic. He was not very good to listen to, you know. But we tend to think, oh, yeah, Paul's got it all together. He's the guy that wrote all this. He's close to Jesus. He says, no, I am weak. And you know what? I need boldness. I need boldness to declare before Caesar the gospel. I, I, pray for me. Pray for me that I'll, do it, that I'll declare it fearlessly as I should. So I love how Paul, you know, you, you think he's writing from a place of this, like, strength. He's like the super apostle. No. In fact, I would say this. The more I grow in the Christian life, the more I recognize how weak I am. You know what the greatest struggle is being a pastor? I don't know. Ask Pastor Dell. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no. Um, you know what's happening on Right Now Media this Tuesday? They're having this big forum with pastors how to deal with apathy in your church. I was reading this. I, you know, this is one of those things I was going to share but don't really want to share because I don't want to lay guilt on people. But then I'm like, wow, this is interesting. So I clicked on it. Right Now Media is this Christian organization that does all these cool Bible videos. Some of you have access to it. And I've, I've, it's been a wonderful blessing in our life and our youth ministry's life. But they have this thing called, you know, why, and the, here's the issue. All the pastors are getting together and they're saying, man, there just seems to be a lack of commitment, a lack of, there seems to be apathy. There's no commitment in the church today. People are not really committed. That has nothing to do with what I was saying, but I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Oh, yeah, what was I saying? The biggest struggle in the, pa in the pastor is, is this. And I remember going to Pastor Bill with this. So I'll, I'll, I'll get him in this, in, involved with this today, too. Um, how do you know if people are really saved? Or, if, you know, there, there's, there's full of grace and there's truth. And in the, in the church, sometimes you can be preaching to who you think where people are at, and they're really maybe not. They're not really there. And what I'm saying is this. There, Jesus was full of grace, and he was full of truth. This is the biggest struggle in pastoring. It's the biggest struggle in living the Christian life, isn't it? It's the balance between grace and truth. The Bible says that if we are saved, if we've been washed in the blood, we have been transformed, we've become new people, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, there is going to be a transformation, a change. There's going to be a hunger for God's word. There's going to be a, 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 a greater love for believers. They'll, they'll love each other more. You know, there's going to be that receptivity of the, of the, the Holy Spirit. But, but then, then you get into like the real life and you're like, man, where is that? I don't really see that happening in a lot of people's life in, in the church sometimes. It's like, is that really going on? You know, and, but then you look at yourself and you say, yeah, there are times where I feel like God is at work and I experience him. And there's other times where I'm like, yeah, am I really saved today? <laughs> you know, you know, and that's why we need to be fortified in the gospel that my salvation is not based on my works. It's based on what Christ did. I don't know if you guys are hearing me here. But it's tough to be gracious and truth-based. And Jesus, the Bible says in John 1, he was both full of grace and truth. He was the most gracious. He was a friend of sinners. He was so loving. He was so kind, so accepting. In fact, he was, they, they, the religious people thought he, was, he could not be the Messiah because he was always hanging out with the, with the down and out, with the sinners, and he was always loving them. But then he always poignantly 
spoke the word of God truthfully. And he would ask questions that would get to your heart. Do you really want to get well? You know, do you, will you, are you going to follow me? Do you love me? You know, and he had the ability and he called out the religious leaders for being fake and being phony with some of the harshest words, you snakes, you whitewashed tombs. So Jesus is both full of grace and truth. Uh, we've been, uh, my wife and I have been meditating on Rich Mullins' music this uh, week. Any fans of Rich Mullins? Uh, last weekend we got to go to a co tribute concert of his. Rich Mullins is one of my favorite musical artists. Uh, tomorrow is his 25th anniversary of his death, unfortunately. Um, a tragic death that he was died in a car accident. But uh, so many powerful songs that he wrote. And um, there's one I just want to read the lyrics to you. It's called The Love of God. And maybe you know this one. I know it's here somewhere. If you want, I could sing it, but that would be painful. Yeah, I don't think I... Uh... Oh, wait. One more chance. One more chance. No. What did I do with it? I lost it. Oh, geez. There's a wideness in God's mercy. You know that one? There's a wideness in God's mercy. The reckless love of God. When you pray, it enables you to connect with God's spirit and to know his heart. There's a wideness in God's mercy. I wanted to share that with you, but I can't, I can't seem to find it here. This is what happens. Somebody could pull it up on the, I guess we could pull it up on our phone and just read it. Oh. The love of God. Ah, I found it. Praise the Lord. There's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own, and he keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. He keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. Now I've seen no band of angels, but I've heard the soldiers' songs. Love hangs over them like a banner. Love within them leads them on to the battle on the journey, and it's never going to stop, ever widening their mercies and the fury of his love. Oh, the love of God. Oh, the love of God. The love of God. Joy and sorrow are this ocean, and in their every ebb and flow, now the Lord a door has opened that all hell could never close. Here I'm tested and made worthy, tossed about but lifted up in the reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. Amen. Amen. That's such a, great, a good, uh, good passage. John Piper says this, Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. Amen? And Paul Miller says, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent 
are all that is needed in life. That's convicting. Prayer is the acid test. God calls us to, it's such an amazing gift, isn't it? To pray, to, to say, okay, God, how am I going to, how do I interact with what you're doing? It's through the gift of prayer. I want to read one more thing to you and then we'll get ready to close, okay? I put this in my question of the week a couple weeks ago and I shared it with some people. And um, it, it's, it's a few years old, but it's a, I, think I, I think I first heard David Jeremiah. Somebody sent this to me recently. Satan called a worldwide convention in his opening address to his demons. He said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from biblical values. But we can do something else. We can keep them from forming an intimate, continual experience with Jesus Christ through prayer. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them have their Christian lifestyles. But steal their time so that they can't gain that experience with Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection through, that, through their day. How shall we do this? Asked the demons. You keep them busy with the non-essentials of life and invest unnumbered schemes to occupy their minds. He answered, tempt them to spend, spend, spend. Then borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince them to work six or seven hours a day, 10 to 12 hours a day, so that they can afford their lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still small voice. Entice them to play the radio or the internet or keep uh, wherever they drive. Keep the TV on and their Alexas and their Echoes going constantly in their homes. Fill their coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with news 24 hours a day. This was actually written before I think the... Uh, the, the full impact of internet news came out. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their mailboxes and emails with junk, sweepstakes, and every kind of newsletter and promotion. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their holidays exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. And when they gather for spiritual worship, fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with souls unfulfilled. Let them be involved in evangelism, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family unity for the good of the cause. It was quite a convention, and the demons went eagerly to their assignments. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Stand firm. If you ask me what my greatest battle is in life, I would say probably it's this. To be in constant communion with Jesus and to prioritize that time with him. Jesus said, if you don't abide with me, you can do nothing. I would say the biggest struggle in ministry is to say, hey, am I going to do this in the flesh or am I going to do this in the spirit? Am I going to spend just as much time praying about this sermon and praying for you as I do preparing for it? 
am I going to spend time with my creator and, and walk with him and prioritize that, or am I going to give in to the tyranny of the urgent? Isn't that our biggest struggle? That's why I love what Paul ends with saying, pray, pray. I want to put up on the screen the um, Christ uh, is our armor, and we'll close with that. The song I asked, uh, one, and I didn't really ask for much for this service except for the last song that we're going to sing together, and that is, is Christ's, um, uh, Christ Be Magnified. I never heard that song until we sang it here. It's, it's, it speaks for itself. It says everything. But let me just say this. Christ himself is our armor. He is the belt of truth. He is our breastplate of righteousness. He is the gospel of peace that we stand on. He is the shield of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. He is our helmet of salvation, Titus 3, 6. He is our sword, the word of God, John 1, 1. And he is our full armor, capable of protecting us from every onslaught of the, of the devil. Stand firm in him. And the good news of the gospel is he has overcome. The light has overcome the darkness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God that loves us no matter what. I thank you for the reckless, raging fury of your love. Even in our brokenness, Lord, we are made whole. Lord, I pray, Father, for Long Grove Church, that we, this church would be a place where people can come who are broken and know, Lord, that they are loved. The church with a big heart, the place of grace. Lord, that's what I've always known this church to be. Father, I pray that it would continue to be a, a place where sinners are welcome, all people are welcome to come and experience your grace and your goodness. But Lord, I also pray in Jesus' name that this church would be a church that realizes that this is a military outpost, that you've put us here for such a time as this to do your work, to battle, to be your hands and your feet, to take the light of Jesus to others, to, to take up the... Um, the belt of truth, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to go out and do your justice, to be the, 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 um, the, the readiness that comes from the shoes that are filled with the gospel of peace. Lord, I pray that this church would take the gospel to others. Father, I pray it would be filled with people who don't, who don't know the gospel and come to know him, Lord. I pray, God, that your will would be done in this church, that we would be a church that stands firm, and that when all else fails, Lord, we would pray. We would pray and rely on you. And that our intimacy with you would be our foremost uh, joy and our foremost weapon. We love you, God. I pray that Jesus would be magnified. Amen.